Happy post-Super Bowl Monday, everyone. Hope you are recovered. 49ers definitely are not today. One can guess. We're going to talk about that a little bit today with my guest. Corbin Smith is joining me, the outstanding host of Locked on Seahawks and also writer for uh, All Seahawks. You've read his stuff. I'm sure you follow him on Twitter. And uh, he's a good friend of the show. And he is a credentialed beat reporter. He covers the Seahawks. He's there in the press conferences. He has some inside uh, knowledge and some insight into things that have been happening with the team. And so he's always a good one to ask what he thinks is going to happen. And there's some big things coming up. We're going to talk about the Geno Smith uh, date coming up at the end of this week. We're going to talk about his thoughts on the Ryan Grubb hire, certainly, and how he thinks his scheme is going to translate to the NFL. And he'll give some thoughts on Mike McDonald's first coaches show appearance this morning on Seattle 710. Corbin Smith joins me next on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now here's your host, Dan Viennes. Well, what'd you think of the Super Bowl? That was was quite a game. It, It seems like... You know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember that long stretch. Um, gosh, this is back, dating back even to my college days, I think late 80s, early 90s, through the 90s, where where the Super Bowls often ended in blowouts. And at one point, the league even got rid of the bye week or the, the extra week in between, in part because they thought it would help kind of equalize things. But lately... I think it just speaks to the talent in the league and, and how tough it is to get through the playoffs and only the strong survive and that kind of thing. But, but man, these games always seem to go down to the wire. You can never count a team out when they're behind. Certainly that's been the case for the Chiefs. In their three Super Bowl wins as Patrick Mahomes gets number three. Um, what, a, what a start his career is off to. I was reminded just the other day that he hasn't even turned 30 years old yet. That is crazy. What do you think it means for the 49ers? Let me know in the comments below. Uh, as they uh, as they head into a shortened offseason now, a bunch of injuries yesterday. They have some aging players, some salary decisions there. Uh, certainly, this felt like a uh, Super Bowl or bust year for them. And it'll be fascinating to see what path they take now over the next few months. As it will be for your Seattle Seahawks, new head coach, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. The staff is almost filled out. We're going to touch on a lot of that uh, in just a minute with Corbin. Before that, uh, hit that like button and the bell for notifications of all new episodes on the YouTube channel and subscribe to the channel. Of course, it's uh, it's the number one best way to support me and the channel and the work that I do. If you prefer audio episodes, you can catch the show on any podcast platform on Spotify. You can subscribe for less than a dollar a month and uh, listen to ad-free episodes. And if you just want to buy me a coffee or a beer, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com. I'll put those links in the description. Uh, let's get right to it and stick around to the end. I ask uh, Corbin what he's been hearing about the Leonard Williams situation. There's been some reporting that there's mutual interest in bringing the free agent back uh, after the Seahawks gave up a couple of draft picks to get him at the trade deadline. And he put a number on it, a percentage of how likely or unlikely he thinks it is that Leonard Williams comes back. And then I ask him who he thinks Coach McDonald would prefer when it gets to free agent linebackers. Jordan Brooks coming back or Patrick Queen coming to join him from Baltimore. Uh, so stick around for that. But here's my conversation today with Corbin Smith. Always good to be joined by Corbin Smith, host, of course, of the daily podcast Locked on Seahawks, also writes 
for all Seahawks. Corbin, we have a lot to talk to. You've had a busy few weeks. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, man, as always. Uh, before we get into Seahawk stuff, obviously, I can't not ask you about the game that we saw yesterday, especially considering that it involved a key rival in the NFC West for the Seahawks. Uh, yet another come from a head loss for the 49ers in a big game in a Super Bowl. Uh, your thoughts on the game and, and how you think it impacts the 49ers heading into the offseason? Well, the first thought I have is and it's crazy saying this about the 49ers, but I have to agree with Tony Romo on this. I thought they got away from what was working early in the second half. They weren't running the football. They threw the ball six straight plays to open the second half. So I didn't like the game plan that San Francisco had coming out of halftime. I thought early in the game when McCaffrey, unfortunately for them, fumbled on the opening drive. I mean, they were running right down Kansas City's throat. Yeah. And they got away from that. So I feel like for whatever reason, Kyle Shanahan in these big games, he kind of forgets who he is and what his offense is. And you see that in these games. The second half, I thought we saw it again from the 49ers, and that's why they ultimately lost the football game. And we could talk Patrick Mahomes. I think he is in GOAT territory at this point. But let's give some credit to Steve Spagnola on yeah. defense. You want to talk about a masterful game plan. The 49ers, to an extent, as I said, played into that a little bit because they didn't run the football the way they should have, especially early in the second half. But the timely blitzes that the Chiefs had to be able to get some stops on the 49ers and to really shut that offense down for most of the second half and in overtime getting the stop to force them to kick a field goal, I thought it was a masterful coaching performance from Spagnola, a coach who I kind of would like to see be a head coach again. He was with the Rams and they yeah. didn't have a quarterback. Sam Bradford could stay healthy. I just wonder if a second opportunity that he could get the job done because I think he's a phenomenal coach and he belongs in the discussion as the best defensive coordinator that's been in the game when you consider he's now won four Super Bowls in that role. And as it relates to the Seahawks, all the talk during the coaching search about whether or not they should go offense or defense, but it, it's, I'd be interested to get your thoughts as I'm watching that game yesterday on both sides of the ball, really, uh, because until they had some coverage breakdowns in the second half, that at least that front seven before Dre Greenlaw got hurt from for the 49ers was kicking some butt up front too. It's, it, I caught myself thinking maybe it, it was the right decision to go with a young defensive mind because look at this game. You can have all the offense in the world, and both of those teams are great examples of that but you have to be able to defend and stop teams if you have any chance. And certainly the last couple of years, that didn't seem like that was uh, that was possible in Seattle. I think we look too much at whether a coach is an offensive-minded coach or defensive-minded coach. Not that it's not important, because obviously that is a big part of the equation, but there's so much more that goes into being a head coach. And you know this, Dan, it isn't just about X's and O's. You've got to be able to manage people. you got to be able to manage your staff you got to be able to deal with the front office. you got to be able to deal with the other people in the building. you got to deal with the players first and foremost. Yeah. And so I think obviously offensive and defensive background, that is going to be a significant part of the equation. But I just think there's so much more to being a coach. I mean, we've seen coaches like Steve Spagnola, who is an incredible defensive mind, that struggled handling a lot of the other things that come with being a head coach. So, yeah, I think – Hiring a young defensive coach like Mike McDonald, seeing what he did in Baltimore, it's exciting. But I'm really excited about the character they are bringing into the building and a guy that 
He does it differently than what Pete Carroll did, Mm -hmm. but he certainly looks like he has the ability to be able to connect with people. And that's going to be crucial for him to have success in Seattle. And as we get into talking about uh, the Seahawks coaching staff, I'm curious to get your thoughts on a couple of things. But this morning we got a little bit closer look, a little bit more in-depth conversation with uh, Coach McDonald. He was on what will become a regular appearance for him on Seattle Sports 710, the coach's show with Brock and Salk. Uh, about a half an hour conversation, pretty wide ranging. They got into some personal background stuff, but also asked him about some of his thoughts football-wise and on this roster. What were your, your key takeaways from that conversation this morning? First and foremost, my ears perked up when he was talking about hiring Ryan Grubb because first thing, I wondered if he was going to even answer that question because we haven't gotten anything official from the Seahawks that Ryan Grubb has been hired. They have not released the coaching staff yet because they're still putting that together. Once they have it all assembled, then they will have an official release. But McDonald didn't shy away at all. It's very evident that Ryan Grubb is going to be the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks and I was most intrigued by his discussion on the idea of a growth mindset and chasing edges. And this isn't just mm-hmm. about football. This is this is about life, Dan. The best of the best are the people that are always looking for new edges, chasing those edges. How can I stay ahead of the field? Even you and I as podcasters, we have to do that. What are ways that I can enhance my production? What are some ways that I can adapt to be able to roll with the times? And obviously it's a fast changing world. Same thing goes when you're looking from a football perspective and Ryan Grubb, he really is the textbook definition of that. You go back and you look at what he did at Sioux Falls, his first coaching job at NAIA. He was an offensive line coach the first three years and they had the most dominant rushing attack in the NAIA. They were a really good passing team the four years he was an offensive coordinator there. So he has been flexible with his personnel. We saw that at Fresno State. Eastern Michigan, he had two offensive linemen drafted Mm -hmm. as the O-line coach at Eastern Michigan. Everywhere he's been, as Mike McDonald said today, everywhere he and Kalen DeBoer have been together, they have turned the team around quickly. They've made them winners. And what really has been the greatest asset for Ryan Grubb has been his ability to adapt and be flexible with the personnel that he has. So he said that this offense he expects is going to be a little bit different in Seattle. And you would expect that with the running backs they've got. But he mentioned it. This was running off. They might not have ran the football a ton, but when they did, Dylan Johnson averaged 5.1 yards per carry this yeah. year. So he doesn't have any reservations. He expects this to be a physical running football team that's going to be able to take their shots downfield and they're going to be efficient, checked off all those boxes. I loved how candid he was about that. Sometimes coaches aren't, but he was up front. Hey, this is what this offense needs to look like for us to be successful. And I think Ryan Grubb is the type of adaptable coach with a growth mindset that can make that happen. It was such an interesting process, very mysterious. You know, we, we had to glean a lot from reading between the lines because the Seahawks did, as they usually do, such a phenomenal job of keeping things quiet. And we didn't have a lot to go on. But now that it's all in the rearview mirror and we know that Grubb's a guy and you look back over that process and and, you know, there were the reported interviews with Chip Kelly late in the process, the the uh, request to interview Mike Kafka and Kafka ending ending up getting a promotion and title by the Giants uh, as a result of that. Do you do you feel like there was there it was a process and there was a moment in there where maybe they weren't sure that Grubb was going to commit? Or do you think he was the guy from day one 
uh, and, and, and that John just wanted to work through the process because Bob Condota reported that, that uh, what really pushed this thing over the finish line was M- coach McDonald himself really kind of, kind of, you know, running full speed ahead with his recruiting pitch, trying to get grub because he felt like he was the guy. Yeah, it was about assertiveness from Mike McDonald. And and I think that there were, I don't know what you want to say there were reservations, but I mean, just think about the situation that Ryan Grubb was in. And I know that a lot of Washington Husky fans aren't very sympathetic about this because they look at what Kalen DeBoer did just promptly going to Alabama the way that he did after all the words that he had that ended up being empty about wanting to continue building at Washington. I mean, that's the way that this process works, unfortunately. And Ryan Grubb, think about the situation that he was in. He was introduced. He introduced himself as the offensive coordinator last Wednesday at a signing day event at Alabama. And I'll admit, I was one of the people that when I heard that and saw that, you know, I think in the back of my mind, you know, maybe he's not out of the equation here, but this seems like he maybe is ready to go to Tuscaloosa and move forward here. But the more information that started to come out, trickle in on Thursday and early Friday, it's like, you know, this name is still out there and he's doing what he's got to do down in Tuscaloosa just to save face. And it stinks. I, I can't imagine how awkward that situation was for him mm-hmm. knowing that he was still thinking about this possibility of being a Seahawks offensive coordinator. But Mike McDonald was really the one that, that pushed the envelope here and he was chasing edges in his yeah. hunt for a coordinator. And that's what he ended up doing. He, made the right pitch and he was able to persuade Ryan Grubb. And I think that it certainly helped that he loves being in Seattle. And I don't think he wanted to coach in Alabama. I really don't. I think he wanted to stay in the Pacific Northwest. So I think Mike McDonald pushed the right buttons and I'm sure he mentioned the quarterback situation as well. I mean, I know a lot of twelves out there are thinking he's going to bring in a rookie quarterback. Let's start fresh. I've seen some people saying, Hey, it's drew lock season. I can't see that being part of the pitch. I think Geno Smith had to be a big part of that. Well, that's a perfect transition into what we need to talk about next because uh, four days from now, uh, well, technically uh, Thursday is really when they have to make the decision because if, if Geno Smith is on the roster on Friday, the 16th, then he that $12.7 million base salary becomes guaranteed. Now, that's not a, it's not a do or die date. They could still trade him or do something with him after that point, but... You've talked extensively about this. Anyone who follows Corbin on social media has heard his viewpoint. And if you don't follow him, you should. Uh, you're, you're very pro Geno Smith and, and, and view him as an asset. What does your gut tell you right now? And, and even the things that you're hearing about which way the Seahawks are leaning as they face that date. Well, there's been, there's been some mixed messaging in terms of what you look at, what has been said from John Schneider and Mike McDonald. John Schneider seemed kind of lukewarm when he was talking about mm-hmm. the coaching process well before Mike McDonald was hired about Geno Smith's season, how it was kind of different than last year where he started slower and then he, he finished strong. It was the opposite the year before. It was kind of a lukewarm response. But listening to Mike McDonald this morning, he's made it clear the two people that he has talked to the most from the player standpoint have been Drew Locke and Geno Smith. Now, that suggests to me that he wants to keep this quarterback room together. Yeah, he wants I mean, to have both these guys back. Drew's not under contract. I, I would not have an issue with that. Drew Locke is still a young quarterback, mm-hmm. and he showed you he can win if he has to step into spot duty. I have not seen enough from him to suggest to me that he's as good as Geno Smith, though, and that's going back with practices I've watched. Geno Smith has just been the better player, yeah. and you look at the last eight weeks of the season – 
Geno Smith was as good as any quarterback in the NFL, Dan. I was making this argument. There's a lot of fans yep. out there. He wasn't top 10 at any point last season. Were you watching the last eight games? No. He had 11 touchdowns and two interceptions. He had several game-winning drives that he orchestrated because the defense put him in a position that he had to do that more times than not. He was in the top 10 in quarterback rating. He was in the top three in big-time throws on PFF during that span. I mean, he was playing as well as any quarterback in the league in those last eight games, in spite of the fact that this team could not consistently run the football to complement him. And I blame Shane Waldron for that more than anybody because I feel like Shane Waldron, if they got stuffed a couple times, he became allergic to running the football. And with an offensive line that had the injuries that they had, the inconsistencies in pass pro – You can't be a pass-heavy team and just avoid the run in those situations. So I look at these circumstances that Geno Smith was dealing with and the fact that he still had that finish to the season. And I think some of the struggles early in the year, you can attribute that to the O-line. You can attribute it to the offense in general. Just they didn't set him up for success. Not using your tight ends. I am very bullish on the idea. And I'm not saying Geno Smith's going to be your starter for the next four or five years. I don't think it's crazy to think that could happen. If he comes out and plays really well in Ryan Grubb's offense, he's only 34 for quarterbacks in today's era. That is not that old. Dan, you and I know that. And he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not running around all the time. He is a pocket passing quarterback. So I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I just think that it would be really foolish to cut ties with the guy that's only going to be the 12th highest paid quarterback. His salary is not going to be a deterrent for them. They have other things they can do to quickly open up cap space. This is not a contract that is an albatross. It's not Russell Wilson's contract in Denver, for example. So I just don't think it's even a debate at this point. Now, maybe Seattle does a restructure to open up some cap with him, but I would be absolutely stunned if they're doing anything but keeping number seven in their center this year. What about the idea? And I say this because this off season is very unusual when it comes to the quarterback position. It seems to me that it's pretty obvious. It is a buyer's market that there is not only a, a very strong draft class with six guys that are pretty universally considered, uh, you know, legitimate starter material in the NFL in this draft, but also an unusual number of veteran quarterbacks, some of them young, that uh, are either looking for a second chance or are free agents and have proven to be good, solid quarterbacks. Usually the free agent quarterback market is barren in the offseason. What about, could the Seahawks, well, I know the answer to this, but what do you think about this idea? They could release him Thursday and then work something out with him after the fact, right? Or, or, or to get the maximum benefit as it, as it works against the salary cap. And I'm with you, I've done all the calculators and it's pretty easy to come up with 40 to $50 million in cap space without touching his contract at all. Just letting him stay on the roster as is. Um, but to get the most out of a potential restructure, would they have to keep him on the roster? Is that an easier path? Yeah. You know, I don't releasing him. I don't care. Some of the other guys that are on the market, Dan, you're talking about a guy that's been a pro bowl. Oh, I just mean he would keep his market down. Like I know he was yeah. an alternate that got moved up. His stats didn't stack up overall. He missed a couple games, too. There were a number of factors in there, but you can't tell me that some of the teams you've seen the quarterback play in this league, there would be a couple teams that I think would immediately pounce if Geno Smith hit the market, and Mm -hmm. I think that they would give him a strong offer. So 
I think that would be too risky at this point. But how can that be that. true, Corbin, when so many people tell me he's a bad quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> so many just, people. You and listen, I, you and I get it I, all the time. I have it's like, always being being of a teacher's background. Right. I've always been a strong proponent of constructive arguments and. <laughs> I just don't feel like a lot of the anti-Geno crowd out there, and I don't care what anybody says. There is a large contingent that fall under that umbrella. There's a lot of them out there. I see it with responses to articles. I can write an article about Phil Haynes, and I get responses about how Geno Smith should not be the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. (laughs) So, listen, there is a lot of – there's a large contingency in the fan base that – wants to do something different at quarterback. And I am not arguing against drafting one. No, I never have either. You know, then absolutely you you can can have both draft somebody, but I, I am not, I'm not throwing JJ McCarthy out there as a week one starter. No No way. He is going to need time to develop Michael Penix. I have some reservations about him, even though he's an older quarterback coming to the league. Is he going to be ready day one to be able to start in the NFL Geno Smith is a ready-made starter that's already been in the position, and I think he's very comparable to Michael Penix in terms of his skill set. So if Ryan Grubb had the success he did with Michael Penix, Geno Smith has arguably a better arm than what Michael Penix does, and he's been one of the most accurate QBs in the league. So I know there's a lot of talk out there. I'm not saying he's elite. I have never said that. But I think the argument about him being top 10 I think there's been a long stretches in the last two years where he has been a top 10 caliber quarterback and the Seahawks would have lost a lot more games without him. Let's just make it that clear. Oh, absolutely. I, I keep coming back to this stat too. When you, you mentioned earlier, like lack of support and, and uh, I think it's, uh, he was 12th in the league in points per drive, but the Seahawks were 31st in the league in number of drives per game. And 32nd in the league, if I'm not mistaken, in number of plays per game. So he was productive. He just wasn't on the field enough because defense was so bad and they couldn't run the football and sustain drives that way. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned Grubb's offense. And when I when I think about, and you know, I'm a WSU alum. I'm a Coug, right? I've seen Michael Penix plenty the last couple of years. It, the throws that he has thrived on and just killed teams with, you know, deep flag routes and posts and deep seams. I mean, that's... That's, That's Gino's bread and butter. Yeah. I, it seems to me that, that that Ryan Grubb would see Gino as an asset that he can win with day one, and then they'll let the draft fall to him or whatever and figure out the other part of it. That you can have both. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. That's what drives me nuts is the fans out there that just think, well, he's 12th highest paid quarterback. Let's go to Drew Locke and let's just give him a lot less money and then – Let's draft some, let's say somebody like Spencer Rattler in the third round. And. Ooh, Hey, I do, careful. I, I put a, I don't know if you saw it. I put a mock draft out the other day. I even traded down, picked up a bunch of extra picks and, and threw a dart at Spencer Rattler in the third round. And my God, I'm public enemy. Number one. That's it's, it's but then there's fans out there that I've seen that would, I mean, again, it's, fandom you're going to have different sponses and i appreciate that from yeah. listeners and readers but people have I feelings just, about quarterbacks man you and i have talked about this off air the the 90s you know i still have <laughs> nightmares about the 90s quarterback situations for the seattle seahawks and yeah. i think a lot of these young fans they don't know what that was like you know they've had russell wilson and geno smith been a pro bowler in the last two years 
they don't know how difficult it is to find a franchise quarterback. And again, I'm not advocating for skipping on quarterback in the draft. If the right guy's there, then go get that quarterback for the future. But I don't think that the future is right now. I think your future is going to be whoever that player is a couple years down the road. But yeah. the present, the present future has got to be Geno Smith with the way that he's played. I just think the Seahawks would be taking a big step backward if they went any other direction. I always uh, never forget when I back in my reporting days and I, and, and going to, to, it was, it was in Kirkland back then they trained at Northwest Bible college and, and seeing Dan McGuire up close in person for the first time and, you know, six foot eight and he was supposed to be able to throw a f- football through a brick wall. And he was, you know, Ken Baring pounded the table, wouldn't let the team draft anybody else when he was on the board and, and couldn't wait to see him throw. And then I saw him throw <laughs> and just, you know, against air and, uh, I don't want to get in trouble. I was going to describe a certain way that he throws, but it just wasn't the way you expect a, a six foot eight inch, 250 pound guy to throw. I was so disappointed. And obviously he never, never really did anything, but yeah, time after time, when, whenever you compile lists of top 10, top 15, however deep you want to go all time QB bus in the NFL, there's like three Seahawks on there. It's, yeah. you know, but, but a large part, large portion of the fan base is too young to, to having rem- remembered that it is fascinating. And you mentioned it again, and I can't get away from it in coach McDonald's introductory press conference un unprompted. He brought up drew Locke's name twice. You just said that he said on his radio show this morning that he and Gina are the two guys they've talked to the most. That's un- that's unusual, right? Like drew Locke is not currently under contract or is his contract not expire until the league year starts. How does that work? Yeah, it's not technically expired. So okay. he's still properly the Seahawks. Discussions with him. It's just uh, I, minded I, coach Dan. I I just don't know necessarily that he is going to be wanting to rush to draft a quarterback early. Yeah. I mean, they've got one pick in the first seventy six, and I'm sure John Schneider's got some thoughts about trying to recoup some picks trading down. But this is a draft that's got a lot of talented defensive players that could be available there in the first round. And Mike McDonald's looking to get this defense over the hump. There may be some pieces there that he is wanting much more than a quarterback when he's already got a really solid franchise QB. And he's got a backup that has shown he can win as a spot starter. So this may very well be a situation where he's vetting both these guys saying, look, I'm happy with the quarterback situation Mm -hmm. here. You know, if the right QB is available in the draft, it's not going to stop us from drafting a guy necessarily, but we're not going to get back in a corner where we feel like we have to draft somebody either. It's a really strong offensive line draft too. And I think that's kind of a sweet spot, that back half of the first round where you can get some interesting yeah. guys. Um, it, it It is intriguing. And I think back to, to John Schneider's first solo press conference after Pete was let go. And he talked about how he thought the team underperformed last year. And he talked about all the talent he thinks he has on hand and how he feels about the roster. It's, it doesn't, you know, you don't have to squint very hard to see that, that he thinks they can win now that this is, I think, I think that's where the disconnect might be that some fans think like new coach, new staff might as well go new quarterback. Cause there's going to be a step back. I think John thinks they can win. I think this roster last year, I mentioned it on your show. I thought this was going to be a double digit win football team. And I still believe that there's a ton of talent on both sides of the ball. So I don't blame him for wanting to go that route. I think it did reach a point where he just felt like Pete can't get us over the hump at this point. And we've had a few years to try to do that. It just hasn't happened. 
he wanted a fresh voice. And I, you know, whether you want to be selfish or not, I think he wanted to be able to hire a coach and he didn't hire Pete Carroll. So this was that opportunity. Now there's more pressure on him because this is your guy you hired. But I think that he's looking at the roster like, Hey, I've done my job assembling the roster and it just, this group underachieved last year. So changing the coaching staff and making a few subtle changes to the roster, having another quality draft, we can quickly be right in the mix contending. So I understand that viewpoint and I agree with it. Now we just got to see if Mike McDonald and his staff can get that out of these players when Pete Carroll, I didn't feel like he could. I mean, this is when I knew the Pete Carroll situation had a chance to be the end. That game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. There were plays on defense where I don't care what the players said. They did not play 100%. There were plays near the goal mm-hmm. line. Najee Harris was driving Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner was doing everything he could, but there were offensive linemen and tight ends pushing Najee Harris. And then you see multiple defenders, including Reek Woolen, just standing there and just, eh, I don't think I want to get involved in this. You never saw that from Pete Carroll coach teams until the end of the season. There were just some plays which like they are not playing hard for him at this point. And I don't think John Schneider was immune to that. And I think that's why everything's unfolded the way it has over the last month. You mentioned Leonard Williams. Seahawks give up a second this year, a fifth next year in order to get him before the trade deadline. There was some reporting during Super Bowl week that the Seahawks are are actively uh, talking to, to his camp about bringing him back and that there's mutual interest there. What are you hearing? Yeah, I've heard the same thing. I've heard that this is a situation that both the player and the team want to make this work. And I've seen some fans that have complained, well, he's getting to be an old player. He's only going to be 30 years old. Yeah. So I think he's still got a ton of good football. And he might have been the best defensive player on Seattle's roster Mm -hmm. during the two months that he was on the team. As bad as the defense played during that time, he played at a really high level. Double-digit quarterback hits, four sacks had a bunch of tackles for a loss. I mean, he was a game wrecker. He was not the issue. It was all the other players on defense. They just had so many other problems schematically. So I think that the dollars are going to be the big thing, obviously, here. and That's always the case. Does Seattle have enough cap flexibility to be able to sign him to 15, 16 million per year? Because I think that's going to be the sweet spot. I don't see this being a... $20 $20 million contract because of his age, he is getting to be a little older player. And I don't necessarily know that he would get that kind of money on the open market either because teams are going to be looking at younger options. So I think that's the sweet spot that 15, 16 million per year, maybe a three or four year contract with most of the guaranteed money loaded early in the deal. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a really good chance this happens. And I think Mike McDonald wants him back. Mike McDonald wants good football players on yeah. defense and Leonard Williams checks off that box. And he's a team player too. This is a guy that's really good in the locker room. He can be one of those guys that keeps the culture going under a new coaching staff. So I'd be leaning. This is probably 75, 25 that it happens. Mm-hmm. It just boils down to what, the price point ends up being that they negotiate on. And then the other free agent question facing the Seahawks on the defensive side of the ball fascinates me because Jordan Brooks is going into his free agent year. He, uh, his fifth year option was declined and it's, it's well known by now that Brooks was selected one pick ahead of Patrick queen, uh, in Baltimore that, um, that if, if Seattle had gone a different direction, with their pick that Baltimore would have taken Jordan Brooks that they preferred him. And that was a big deal at the time because there were many who felt like Brooks was a reach where the Seahawks took him until that information came out. And so now here's Mike McDonald, Patrick Queens, a free agent, 
all of the Seahawks linebackers, at least the, the top three in the rotation are free agents this year. So there have to be acquisitions made there. Mike McDonald was on the staff in Baltimore during that whole scouting process. And if they truly preferred Jordan Brooks there to Patrick Queen, they're different, they're different linebackers. But if you could only choose one, which one do you think McDonald might favor? I know a lot of fans expect Patrick Queen to be in play because of that past experience playing for Mike McDonald. But I think Jordan Brooks coming back is a much stronger possibility because I want to see him play in a defense that really accentuates his strengths. I just felt like Clint hurt the last two years, especially it didn't seem like they put the linebackers in the best position to make plays a lot of the time. And there were some scheme issues that they had to work through with Bobby Wagner too, at this stage of his career. So I just, I will say this, Dan, being a reporter, being in the locker room, this guy, Jordan Brooks just screams Mike McDonald's kind of guy. Mm. And I'll go back to that end of the season, the, the cigar situation. And I'm not calling Julian love out. Look, he had his baby born. I get all that stuff. I didn't agree with it necessarily. I would have done it outside of the locker room when they were going out to the plane. That's what I would have mm, done. Yeah. But that's just my opinion. These guys are NFL. They're grown men. They can do what they want to do. I thought Jordan Brooks looked like he was ready to, he, he looked, he was ready to kick some butt and take some names in there. Like that guy hates losing more than anyone. You see him in the locker room after losses, like, he wears it on those broad shoulders. Like he does not want to lose. Mike McDonald is extremely competitive and he's a different style competitive than Pete Carroll. He's not, maybe not that cool, cool breeze competitive like Pete Carroll is. And that's, that worked for Pete Carroll. Yeah. But Mike McDonald is more of a blue collar. I, I get after it. Let's go to win. Just a different mentality. And I think Jordan Brooks, that's exactly the kind of mentality that he brings. He is a workmanlike player that just wants to win. So, yeah, Patrick Queen could come back. But I think it's going to be more expensive to go in the free agent market to get a linebacker than it's going to be to try to re-sign Jordan Brooks. And I think Brooks wants to be back and playing for Mike McDonald. I just think those two are going to hit it off. So that is a prediction I have that Jordan Brooks will be back this year. Well, uh, Coach McDonald did mention today on his show that uh, they'll be doing a lot of hard work this week, getting the rest of that staff finalized. And then uh, then I'm sure we'll see all those releases and names come out. And and now that most of that's in place, now you can actually start paying attention to the combine and the draft instead of all of these, these coaching changes. Corbin, it's always great to have you on the show. Uh, certainly we'll do it again as we get closer to the draft. We'll start talking about some of them prospects. Uh, what do you got coming up this week on Locked on Seahawks? Well, we're going to keep diving into how the roster is going to be impacted by the coaching staff. We're going to talk quarterbacks today because, of course, we've got to look at Geno Smith, J.J. McCarthy, Drew Locke, Rattler, all kinds of different scenarios that the Seahawks could go in and how Ryan Grubbs higher impacts that. So we're going to be talking about that today. And uh, we're going to start diving into draft stuff, too, because the combine is only a couple weeks away. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. This is truly a year-round business now, Dan. It really is. It is. And judging by, I'm sure you've seen the same thing, judging by views and subscriptions on my channel, it's people are, people are into this and it's, <laughs> they're into it. They're, they're hungry for information, which they always get from you. It's always good to have you on the show. We'll see you soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Corbin. Awesome. As always to have Corbin on, be sure to give him a follow and uh, check out locked on Seahawks, the daily podcast from the locked on network. 
that's going to do it for me. Uh, we um, we have a lot to talk about in the next couple of weeks, and and the focus now does turn to, in large part, the draft. Started really digging into some uh, some all twenty two video yesterday and taking notes on some prospects, and so I'll be getting into some of that over the next month as the combine fast approaches. Tomorrow, Mookie Alexander, man, managing editor of Field Goals, will be joining me. First time in a while, I've had a chance to catch up with Mookie. Um, get his thoughts on the Seahawks offseason to this point and what he thinks we're going to see in some key areas moving forward. Until then, do all the things to support the channel. Subscribe, like, thumbs up, all that stuff. Uh, Thank you so much. Got a couple of uh, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts over the weekend. Appreciate that. Shout out to you guys. If you want to leave a review on Apple, that certainly helps placement in the podcast and is much appreciated. Uh, I am Dan Viennes. This is Seahawks Forever. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Forever and always, go Hawks. Go Hawks.